Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Ideas Don't Bleed podcast. My name's Matt. Ethan's here. Griffin's here. Hello. That's, that's the whole spiel. It's low energy. Mm-hmm. We're being chill okay. today. Yes. It's a sleepy. It's a, it's a sleepy, cozy little show. It's a. It's a. It, yeah. It's not ASMR, but it's mm-hmm. it's damn close. It's mm-hmm. like you know. Oh, it, it's an emotional cousin to ASMR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we talk about comic books. <laughs> I feel like someone's going to slip into slow jazz now. We might have if, some loaded up. If we have some, <laughs> if we have some public domain slow jazz, we could drop yeah. in there. So we're not get. <laughs> I don't want to get sued by Ornette Coleman's estate. Oh. Oh. I don't think that's jazz. Oh wait. Uh, wait for the drop. Maybe it'll be jazz. I think I if there's think a, it's gonna be jazz. I think <laughs> if there's a drop, it's not. Jazz. I don't think if there's a drop, it's jazz. Also, I'm curious how you store music on your computer, Griffin. <laughs> that you don't you don't know what it is or even what genre it is. I, I don't I don't organize it by genre. I organize it by how far into the song is the the drop. drop. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Pretty good. Um, I mean, there 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 are a lot of jazz tracks with good bass drops. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll talk, we'll talk some jazz. Uh, but before we talk jazz, we're going to talk comic books. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we brought a very special guest today. Maybe our Ooh. most special guest yet. Ooh. I don't know. Do you, you think know. so? Maybe. Uh, Rom feels very special. Rom V is here. <laughs> and, and yay. Yeah. If you feel special and we feel like you're special, it's all that matters. It's, it's undeniable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can't argue with mm-hmm. that. Uh, well, thank you for coming all the way over from England to be on our podcast. <laughs> We're all in the I same room. room. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Uh, it, I, I know flights are expensive and all of that, and I know the time difference. You must be very. I love tired. the idea that despite the fact that you were so hesitant to start a podcast and you grumble about it most times, the idea that you have a studio that you make people fly. Well, out I bought a I bought a studio yes. and I fly yeah. people over for the podcast that yeah. I don't necessarily like making. <laughs> it's just because he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't love making a podcast, but he does. He is a professional. Oh, if, right. I, if you're gonna do something, do it a hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, see, while yeah. you say that you don't want to do it, mm-hmm. which is maybe not 100%. Like, that's a lot of commitment for going through the motions, Matt. It is. It is. It is. I find that going through the motions is very expensive and <laughs> probably not worth it a lot of time, but here we are. Uh, Ron. Yeah. We're going to start. We started every, uh, we start every interview with the same question, which is why comics? Um, because someone said my writing style looked very was very visual, and then someone asked me if I had ever thought about writing comics, and it was one of those things where I'd read comics forever and never thought about writing for them, and then once this person mentioned it, my brain just went like, oh yeah, why haven't I done that? Hmm. Um, 
two years later, I published my self-published my first book. Uh, so your writing style was very visual. Mm-hmm. What were what were you writing? I was writing prose short stories, um, just having them published with like online short story markets here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a few things published. Um, this was this was also at the time where I had a chemical engineering job. And so I was writing in lunch breaks and in hotel rooms when I traveled, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So um, well, I think yeah. even further back than that then is you've got a chemical engineering gig. So clearly writing was not uh, necessarily what you thought you would probably be doing with your life. So where does that switch in the train tracks come in? I mean, I wanted to write. Um, mm-hmm. I think I keep mentioning this as if it's like a huge achievement, but which it kind of is. Um, is. Um, when I was 12, I read Lord of the Rings for the first time. I've heard and, of it. Uh, and I decided immediately that I was going to write the next super successful three-part trilogy <laughs> oh, with yeah, elves yeah. and orcs mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. so it was it was just like a terrible ripoff of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, it, you know, while that kick lasted, I wrote about 40, 50,000 words. Jeez. So like, wow. yeah, so I, I would sit down every weekend and spend hours writing. Uh, mm-hmm. And for a 12 year old to have that commitment, A, I had no life, <laughs> but also B, I love writing. Um, uh. And so I think that sort of need to write stayed with me ever since then, uh, even mm-hmm. though, you know, I wasn't ever taking it uh, as, a, as a professional um, possibility. Yeah. Um, so I studied chemical engineering. My dad was a chemical engineer, very, very renowned, successful chemical engineer in India. So I was mm-hmm. following in his footsteps. And then, uh, you know, one fine day decided that the office wasn't big enough for the two of us. So uh, I quit. I quit and I uh, actually was a spur of the moment thing too. Like, well, what are you going to do? And then I went, well, I'm going to write. And then I went and wrote. Um, So yeah. Quit your jobs. Face your dreams. (laughs) The, uh, is the, is the trilogy of, of fantasy novels going to come out? When's that coming out? Are you still taking it? No, I mean, not that one. Um, There's a fantasy novel in the works. Um, couple of chapters written but my hope is that by 45 i can go away to some remote corner of the earth disappear for two years and then emerge with a novel in hand so incredible uh i'm i'm glad you didn't give up on the dream i'm glad that 12 year old you didn't find out about jar jar martin creating the next big fantasy series <laughs> yeah, yeah. and just flush it out the toilet. Uh, I'm also intrigued by the fact that uh, you're going to go away for two years to write a novel mm-hmm. um, because you're a comic book writer and that time is not a luxury for you very often because we work in a very fast medium. Um, is that something that like d- does actually taking that time is that something that appeals to you about that? Is that why you want to yeah. do it? Yeah, I mean, but also, I think, I think writing a novel is a different vibe, right? Like, there's so much more internality to it. And there's so much more, I mean, without, without sort of leaning into sounding wanky territory, it's, it's kind of like a little bit like character acting, where you really need to sort of immerse yourself into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so comics is so, for me, is so not that because we're on a monthly schedule, because we're, um, you know, I got to get a script to an artist who's going to spend three times the amount of time I spent on writing the script um, more. So, Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a different vibe. And, and because I got into writing, not writing comics to begin with, um, I've never thought of myself as I'm limiting to, to being a comic book writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've wanted to write, you know, audio plays. I've wanted to write, film and TV, I wanted to write animation, plays, novels, novellas, short stories. And so I've done short stories, I've done poems, um, I've done screenplays, I'm working on animation now. So novel is like, you know, the next mountain, the next the next thing on the on the list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by someone telling you that your uh, your prose is very uh, visual. Because I tend to think that your comics are very, not prose-like, but poetic. Sure. And, and so you're you you are someone who clearly straddles a lot of different media mediums uh, in your work. Always, I feel like. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm wondering actually about that. Uh, we had we had Al Ewing on recently, and I I, I sort of asked him the same question because I. I don't know what to say to British people, but um, <laughs> the, I feel like I feel like there's a certain uh, I feel like even though the American comics market and the British comics market are are so similar in so many ways, I feel mm-hmm. like the British comics writers are very are very much cut from a different cloth. I feel like the the influences, while you all don't write the same in the same way that American writers don't write the same, I feel like there are certain things that a lot of the British comics writers do. And a lot of that is more, more poetic language, more, uh, I don't know, just more, it just feels different. I mean, I think, I think it's cultural, right? Like, mm-hmm. like if you look at the great canonical influences for contemporary American writing, I mean, the obvious point would be to go to Hemingway, but um, sure. even, even if you don't go there, even if you look at, you know, contemporary postmodernists, even if you look at people who have poetic styles in their writing, it's all still, I think the cultural obsession is still with tangibility, with with what is here, what I can hold, the solid shapes. Yeah. You know, a, a character is who they are. They are not fluid. They're not uh, yeah. intangible. They're not nebulous. Whereas I think uh, the more you look into European influences, certainly with the British stuff, um, I think culturally, even because writing in the UK stems from uh, a culture where there was magic, where there was, um, you know, legends and folklore, and and part of that is having you know a far deeper, longer history than a place like America as well. Um, uh, that's not to say, you know, if, if we had more Native American people being part of the canonical influence of American writing, maybe maybe we'd be in a different place. Yeah. Um, so I think so. I think those kind of things, like the history and culture that the writing stems from, has a huge influence, and and certainly you can see that difference. Even even where you're writing the same subject matter, you can tell the see the difference between Azarello's Hellblazer and 
uh-huh. you know, more or or Gaiman or uh, even more in Gaiman being another category. Yeah. And then Ennis and Ellis being another category, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I feel like I feel like the cultural influences of where your writing comes from, you know, speaks through into into the writing itself. Yeah, the I think that's interesting. Did you did you grow up reading? Like, what comics did you grow up reading? I grew up reading uh, French translations of Tintin and Asterix. Uh-huh. Um, that's what I read the most as a kid. But I also read Indian translations or like reprints, not translations, reprints of the old King's comic stuff, like uh, Phantom, yeah. Mandrake, Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was my main reading material as a kid. Yeah. Uh, and then I stopped reading comics when I was about 12 or 13. Um, again, very dramatic. My dad took all my comics and put them in trash bags and threw them away. And <laughs> I was like, now you will read proper books and then handed me a Steinbeck novel and went like, you read this and be depressed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I like that it was Steinbeck. That's the Yeah, yeah. I read, I read of Mice and Men at the age of 13 and I was just like, it shattered it's, my worldview. It's, it's a fun one for sure. Yeah. It's, oh, it's full of laughs. Um, <laughs> the, the so where were you then at the time? I was, in, I was in India. Yeah, you were in India. Yeah, I was when growing did, up in Mumbai. Uh, yeah. I was in Mumbai until I was about nineteen. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've never. I've I've only been to India once, and it was for five days, uh, and I went to a comic con. It was lovely, um, but I was fascinated by the comics culture because. It's so it it seemed like it was grabbing from so many different like whatever they could sort of get their hands on. It felt like there was I mean, a part lot of it is because again, like as with anything else, part of it is because it is a new shiny thing in India mm-hmm. um, that is you know tapping into things like social media and film and TV and has big sponsorship because it attracts so many people. I mean anything you do in India, even if it attracts a small percentage of the population, just in terms of sheer numbers is going to attract way more people, right? Yeah. So so it's always going to feel that way. And, and part of that is like a really cool energy where people come in, they don't really know what comics are or, or who some of the creators are. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, I'm fascinated by all of this. Yeah. I'm going to experience all of this, which is which is pretty cool. But then there's also a very sort of focused, very hardcore. I've been collecting, you know, DC Marvel indie stuff for years um, and very knowledgeable and informed yeah. collectors uh, and creators back in India as well. And so you can always tell the difference when, you know, someone comes over and they've got like everything you've done from yeah, issue yeah. one to and you realize this person had to pay shipping on all of that, which is sure. probably three times the price of the single issue in the first place. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting place. Um, and I keep telling people this as well. Like, there are local language comics in India mm-hmm. um, that are published quarterly in like magazines that are meant for housewives. So there's like a South Indian comic in a sort of women reading soap opera in comics format kind of magazine. Yeah. Um, and that thing sells 400, 500,000 copies. Yeah. Even though it's like in a local language that's being sold to like a small part of the country. Yeah. 
It's so it, <clears throat> you're saying we're just we're doing it all fucking wrong over here is what if, if someone figures out how to sell comics in india as a as a monthly distribution thing yeah the, just the numbers even if you sell to like one percent of the population beats out sales of any comic yeah <laughs> when when i went with tyler boss over to hyderabad to to their comic con and it was it was so much fun it was it was beautiful and it was amazing but there was this amazing level of like the enthusiasm of all the people was like nothing I'd ever felt before. But there was this amazing mix of like people who would you, you'd, you'd just be signing and people would come up and be like, thank you for making the X-Men. And I'd be like, well, I didn't make the X-Men. And, and like you'd get like five of those. So people would be like, you know, like Tyler was getting asked, like, how did you come up with Archie? And he, and he was like, I'm like 26. Like Archie's like been around forever. And then like every fifth person would be like or 10th person or whatever would be like i have a question um you you used quake on this and like she's an inhuman but she's and like yeah, you yeah, get these exactly. really deep dive and you just didn't know what you were going to get from any person yeah. and it was like uh it was it was really fun to have both levels of of enthusiasm of like the die hard deep dive fans and the like just happy to be there i i'm excited about comics fans it was really uh cool but also like it felt like the the indie comics there and the, there were people who were making their own comics yeah. Yeah. and and it uh, and i went around like i bought everything and from from those people and and took them home and uh it it felt like really wild like it felt like they were drawing all these different influences and and yeah, all these yeah, different absolutely. places and and also like to that point uh sumit kumar who did these savage shores with me yeah uh, Anand Radhakrishnan, who did Blue and Green with me in Graffiti's Wall, uh, Dave Pramanik, who did Paradiso, they all came from the indie comic scene. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of cool uh, because there weren't a lot of creators in America, Indian creators in American comics. Sure. Um, before, I mean, before, to be honest, like that group of us started working yeah. and making comics here in the UK first, then in, then in, then in the US. And it's kind of cool to see now people making indie comics there. They feel like, oh, I can do it because mm -hmm. this person whose work I really like, they're doing it now. And I, yeah. I, I hope that it leads to like a whole, you know, like a, a wave of young Indian comic book artists and writers who are who will break into the international industry as well. It was that intentional on your part of going out and finding Indian artists to try and bring them over to Western books or were they just guys you knew people you knew and like I mean it was mostly just people I knew and yeah. um you know I don't I don't really have grand designs on things I just want to make my stuff and sure. and so um when we started making that stuff the reaction we saw was people going like, where's this guy been? Why, why, yeah. haven't, why haven't I seen this work before? And it was really at that moment that we were like, oh, wait a minute, I think we're doing something cool here. Like, Anna's the first Indian ever to win an Eisner. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and and are the, those guys, are, are they all still in India? Where do they, yeah, Anna's still in India. So means, yeah, I mean, Dave's now in Europe. But Anand and Sumit are still in India. They're yeah. still in India, and and they, uh, 
do do you feel like they like people note them a lot like you said that people are like oh it's cool that you see some people who do that but are they celebrities there in the comic scene or is not it... really big again because of the thing we mentioned where like the vast majority of people don't aren't don't. really part of a comic scene that yeah, is yeah. followed and and where that sort of niche celebrity exists you know <laughs> um unless you've written some indian comic that has been all pervasive and has affected like the childhoods of millions of people you know there are creators like that there's a comic in india called bahadur which is about uh a, a young man in a village who uh takes up arms to protect his village from bandits uh-huh. that's the entire comic that's the whole concept yeah uh and there's like you know hundreds of issues of that and so it's a lot of uh, bandits avid surti who made the yes who made the comic now that guy walks into a comic con everyone's like I know who that is. Yeah, yeah. Um that's interesting. I I but like you know um last time who else was there? Um like Declan Shelby walks into a comic con people are like who's that? Yeah, yeah. You know, the ones who know know you but sure. it's not like I mean Declan walks into a comic con here people are like okay I know I know who that is. I know the work he's done. So I, I'm actually not familiar but I'll I'll check I'll look him up. Yeah, yeah, look him up. He did this thing called Moon Knight. You might have, I don't know. Not familiar. <laughs> um, sounds great. He sounds great. The uh, So uh, you 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 started off and you did a, like, Paradiso and, and Graffiti's Wall and, and Black Mumba and, and these indie books. Was that always your goal, was to be an indie comics creator, doing your own stories, or was doing superhero stuff on your radar when you started? I mean, I just wanted to tell my stories, whether that was in indie comics or in superhero stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Admittedly, it's harder to do that with superhero stuff. Sure. But, um, you know, through trickery and, uh, and subterfuge, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, no, so, so my intention was always to just, you know, tell the kind of stories that I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't feel like, I mean, cause it's, it's come up in recent past this conversation of like, are you going to stop doing creator own stuff? I'm like, no, yeah, like, it's like breathing air to me. If I stopped doing that, I wouldn't be the same creator. Mm -hmm. And the. So when did the superhero stuff sort of enter for you? When did you, like, how did you get into that? Like, make um, I mean, so to follow on from the story that we left off at the age of 13, where I stopped reading comics. Sure. Um, when I was 19, um, I was dating someone in Philadelphia and she was in the, she was in the goth scene there. And then night uh, my, I think my 20th birthday, she handed me volume one of Sandman. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you have to read this. It's amazing. And it was like the perfect confluence of stuff as well. Like this was a person who introduced me to Bauhaus and Bowie and handed me volume one of Sandman. So it was like the entire package. Um, <laughs> and that really pulled me into uh, American comics. So mm-hmm. that was like the first step. And I only knew of the superhero stuff. I mean, yes, I knew of Batman. I knew of Spider-Man because of the animated series, all of that. But I only got into the sort of nitty gritties of superhero comics because 
I would have seen a character either in Sandman or in some obscure like Swamp Thing appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I read I read everything Neil had done because I loved Sandman. Yeah. Then I read somewhere that Alan Moore had recommended him to Karen Berger, and I was like, I wonder who Alan Moore is. <laughs> and so I'm still trying to read everything Alan Moore did in comics. Sure. Uh, and then you know I read somewhere that there was this young creator who was doing. Uh, snide wizard magazine articles criticizing Alan Moore's work. I was like, I wonder who that is. Uh, and I found Grant Morrison that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really that was my introduction into um, the, the mainstream superhero yeah. stuff was through this side window of Vertigo takes. And so when I got to the actual mainstream stuff, I was like, what is this? Um, this is nowhere near as weird and and um sort of offbeat as i thought it was going to be but that was yeah. largely because my window into superheroes was the weird and the offbeat and the and the strange takes sure and do you feel and like did you find did you think like when you discovered the superhero stuff through through that window were you like i want to do this and bring weird offbeat to it or were you just like that's not for me um no so I don't know that I have the same weird and offbeat that that I read in the Vertigo books, but sure. I know I have my own voice to it. And it is a little bit weird. It is a little bit offbeat. Like you can tell even when, you know, I was asked to like, what would you do on detective? I was like, I want to do an opera, yeah. um, which, which I don't think they had heard from other creators. Uh, sure. And so, um, I feel like coming up with the what's not been done before has been an easy approach because um, I've had that vertigo intro into comics, if you will. It's just so interesting because you've touched so many like really iconic uh, superheroes at, at this point in some form or fashion. And so to know that you sort of come into it in like the reverse trajectory that I feel like so many American creators do, which is like, we all fall in love with fucking Spider-Man and Batman. And like, that's all the stuff we read first. And then we go into the, uh, like the new game, the Sandman and Alan Moore swamp thing and all that stuff. But for you, you start there and then you sort of trickle into the mainstream superhero comics. I don't know if I have a question. I think I just find that. I mean, it's always interesting when you talk to someone who's had, Mm-hmm. the history that, that you just mentioned. So they always come yeah. up with like, oh man, this is referring back to like issue number so-and-so of, you know, <laughs> yeah. Detective Rise. Like, I have no idea yeah. what you're talking about, but well, cool. Yeah, it has almost like, you know, over here, I feel like there is such a focus on continuity and, and following the characters for so long. And that's part of the appeal. Whereas these other stories we're talking about are, sort of more contained in their own thing. And that's obviously what's so appealing about them, what makes them such, I think, strong and appealing stories. But then the two just sort of collide in the contemporary comic space. As it has done throughout history, right? Like, it's the difference Mm -hmm. between religion and mythology. Like, um, mythology, you're allowed to be contradictory. You're allowed to make fun. You're allowed to have Mm -hmm. weird takes. They're all foolish anyway. They're not to be respected. They're to be suspected. 
but with religion you're like no no it all has to make sense yes. linearly <laughs> yes and yes. you can never disrespect the one true <laughs> blah 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 this is the one yes. take their costume yes. cannot change he always wears this on the left so <laughs> it, it's it's i mean it's a, it's been an unending battle really between mm -hmm. religion and myth and i feel like superheroes are the contemporary um battleground of that of that um I don't know, of those two drives, the storytelling versus the turning into a, a, a following. And yeah, and where, and I obviously, I think I know the answer, but where do you land in this? Oh, I'm like, no, I, if, to be honest, like, if I were in India, I would make fun of Indian gods and I would get into a lot of trouble for it. So sure. um, <clears throat> I, I think, I think gods in general are a cautionary tale. Mm. not one to be followed. This is also why I feel like there's so many despairing takes on, on characters like, you know, Rorschach and Vite and whatnot. They're yeah. all meant to be cautionary tales. You're not sure. meant to go like, oh, I want to be exactly like that. Um, the only one that you're supposed to say that about is someone who wants to be exactly like us. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I feel like I feel like that's where I land pretty heavily. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm always fascinated by it because I, I feel like I, in my life, but also in my career, have sort of bounced back and forth. And, and it took a long time to find a happy middle ground, especially in dealing with like, like you're talking about the religion or mythology of, of modern superheroes as, you know, modern American <clears throat> pop culture, whatever they are into pop culture. I mean, I think mm -hmm. we're, uh, that's evolving every time a new movie comes out, <laughs> what our relationship with these characters is. But the, you know, I, I'm, I grew up reading American superhero comics, loved American superhero comics, still do, and felt like I was a real continuity stickler and felt like that was so important. And then you just hit a point, I think, when you're making these things creatively, where, you've seen almost every take on on what a character can be within the confines of who that character is and you've seen it stretched to its limits and you just want to see it broken and you want to see it smashed yeah. and reimagined and reinvented and then you come out on the other side of that you come out being like uh i remember early on when when me and donnie cates got to marvel uh you know someone said to us like you guys are coming in and like you know, trying to break these characters. And me and Donnie, like, went out to dinner and talked about that. And I was like, I don't think these characters are breakable. Like, I don't think I could break, you know, there's nothing I can do to Spider-Man that, like, Spider-Man's not going to be a cultural institution on the other side of it. Like, right. I, I, I'm not that powerful. Like, it, it, these things, like, they're small characters. Like, I could ruin, you know, Quake. I, I could ruin, uh, you know, but... But, but the, is, that, is that ruining, though? Like, 10 years down the line, someone else is going to come up pick up that take and you know and run with it yeah regard, regardless of whether yours was greatly received or not they're gonna do something that may you know salvage that character and turn him into yeah, like exactly Wake might be the one true x-man in like you know 2050 or whatever yeah, yeah. or when you inhuman in 2050 or whatever and and that's how mythologies work right yeah like you take 
at some point you take Zeus, who probably was like the new kid on the block because the Titans ruled everything. Mm-hmm. And Zeus was probably the quake of his time. And then somebody else came in and said, yeah. okay, I'm going to, I'm going to base my entire pantheon around this guy. Yeah. Um, it's kind of how mythologies work. And what you're talking about, again, to, to stick with the analogy is someone who went from being a follower to a storyteller, right? You followed yeah. the stories. Sure. And then you became, for lack of a, of a better word, uh, a, a priest, uh, a prophesizer, if yeah. you will. Um, and so um, I think that transition happens. And, and so in that transition lies the questioning of your faith. Like you question, yeah. you question whether you, you need to follow or you need to break things. Yeah. Um, and I think the more interesting stuff always comes from people who are willing to bend, break, recontextualize, push. And that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Rom V. Make sure to check out The One Hand, Rare Flavors, and Detective Comics, as well as everything else he's working on by giving him a follow on Twitter at the right Rom. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at Ashcan Press on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the poison?